Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, step right up. Behind this curtain lies a ghastly concoction of delight, horror, fantasy, and terror. Your every wish is our command. Your every whimsical desire brought to life. But I'm warning you, there's always a price. Welcome to the greatest of And welcome back to The Greatest Show on Earth. It's Wednesday, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So you know we're back to help you get through the midweek slump. It's Talking Terror. All new episodes tonight featuring the demonic Dr. Dave film pick of the week. Budman, a.k.a. The Untold Story from 1993, directed by Herman Yao. So we're going to be talking about that later on in the show, and we're going to make it through this. As always, I'm your old pal, the King of Horror, Andy G. Welcome to back. We hope you're having a good week so far, and as always, I'm joined by the bold and the beautiful, the Gold Geek Keith. Hello, 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 hello. Did you say Buttman? No, it's Bunman. I am Bunman. Bunman comes out of the East to do battle with Buttman. Coming soon. Rated R. Bunman and his fucking sidekick, Burger Boy. Burger Boy? That would be great. Like, you know, they could battle the evil hot dog man. He's got hot dogs for fingers. Wiener dude. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, how bro. are you doing, King? Wiener bros. <laughs> yeah, sword fights. Woo! Right? Everywhere. I am doing fantastic. How are you doing tonight, sir? Uh, it's another, another lovely day in the neighborhood, man, as always. As always, and I love to hear that. So we're waiting on the demonic doctor. To come on board with his horror news and to discuss his film pick. Uh, the monkey is not here. Apparently he got into some trouble with Nurse Johnson, so he is on restrictive duty until next week when he comes back to join us. Uh, but I did have a question that I wanted to raise to you, Ghoul. Now, this actually comes from the monkey, and it's in regards to Game of Thrones, which had a serious finale this past Sunday. Uh, first, he wanted to know your opinion on it. Spoiler free if you can. And also... Do you think that the finale will give George R. R. Martin Ouch. leverage since he has two books left to kind of create the perfect ending that maybe fans didn't get this past Sunday? Ow, 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 ow. I mean, it's kind of hard to get to go into anything without any spoilers. Um, all right, so I can, I can do this, actually. You know what? Look, the reality is this. Was I completely satisfied with how they ended Game of Thrones? Um... No, I personally was not satisfied with it. Um, mostly for reasons um, of storytelling purposes. It wasn't a matter that it didn't make sense. It was more of a matter that it just kind of it felt hastily put together on the back end of things. And that kind of was a shame because everything that was worked to get us to this point was crafted so well. So for them to kind of just say, hey, we're going to hit the downhill slope and just go, um, was kind of a bummer. Oh, well, I mean, that's a shame that it was crafted as well. I've, I've heard a lot of mixed reviews about it, uh, just not being what they wanted. But that was what I posited the second question about George R. R. Martin. Do you think he has the leverage now to release these last two books and say, if you didn't like the show, you're definitely going to love how I ended it? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those where, you know, I think the problem is a lot of people are sitting there with their personal preferences on this whole thing. Mm -hmm. Hey, it didn't end the way I wanted it to end. Hey, it didn't end because my guy didn't end up getting on the throne or or however they felt, you know, personally about it. You know, my issues had nothing to do with who I felt should have gotten the throne as much as it just felt like it was all hastily there. As far as George goes, um, yeah, I'm sure that if, you know, judging from the way everything's go, everything went with the people's reactions to things, I think he was going to change the ending regardless. Um, I think he gave them whatever it is that he gave them and said, hey, this is what you guys can do. This is what one of the things I was thinking of. But I also think George R. R. Martin's the kind of writer who constantly changes the story up himself anyway. And I think that's what's causing these kind of delays. I think that's why he got the first three books out as quickly as he did. And then when it became a phenomena and the books became popular, then he kind of started second-guessing himself because he had to kind of like write this into a bigger... A, a bigger arc and mm-hmm. I think that you know he'll change whatever he's going to change and hopefully it delivers in a way that the show could not I mean the books are different and I enjoy those I enjoyed the show again the finale wasn't what I wanted but it didn't mean it was bad well that's great and a good way to do it without uh, any spoilers that's good for our fans out there that watch the show and haven't quite watched that series finale yet uh, as we know we are also joined by the demonic doctor he is here Welcome, Dave. Or he was here. But maybe he decided to to disappear. Fucking divas, dude. I'm telling you, man. I mean... It's his it's pick. He thinks he's it's his fucking prom. I'm wearing my I'm wearing my fancy dress. Oh Yeah. Comes in with his tiara and his scepter, then just immediately fucking leaves the room. Class act. I tell you. Mm-mm. So, what kind of well, things do we have on the news front? Well, well oh, there he is. Okay, well, there he is. On, on on this Game of Thrones thing, which you know, it's not something that I know a whole lot about. I know that there's some dragons and a a a, a, a throne made of swords, and there's someone called the Khaleesi that used to get naked and doesn't get naked anymore. Um, and uh, what, what's the deal with all of this stuff that I've been reading about, like watching this show and there's like coffee cups and water bottles and shit in the scenes. Like what's going on with there? <laughs> that is, again, I think that kind of goes towards this hastily, hastily assembled shit that occurred, you know, as far as like the edit, I, don't, I just don't see how these things slip through such a high profile show. Right. That you would figure how many people have to go through the editing process, how many people have to sit there, go over all these scenes. Like, okay, it's one thing, you're filming the scene, and you accidentally left that cup there during one of the takes. Yeah, but of course. You can't tell but me like, they only took that, they only shot that scene once. You know what I mean? How many times did it get missed on the editing end where they're putting the scene together, they're assembling the show, and. You know, they have, let's say, five separate takes of this. You're telling me the one that they picked is the one that fucking had the coffee cup on it? You know, and then the same thing happened in this finale where there was a water bottle just, like, sitting right there. Now, so, yeah. But, like, you talk about hastily thrown together, and, uh, look, I don't know the true timeline of the seasons, but, like, 
hasn't it been like almost two years since the previous season? Yes, which is what makes it feel all the more wow. insultive as a fan because it feels like for those all this time that they made us wait, it doesn't feel like it paid off right. It doesn't feel like they actually used that time to do anything but build up the hype as opposed to taking that time to really craft a mastered story that really closed out everything or, you know, I don't know. I personally didn't expect things to get closed out with the show. I figured we were going to leave the show as we entered the show, which was in the midst of the life that was going on within this entire world. You know, basically that world's going to keep going on regardless of us getting to see what happens every day. Um, and, and yeah, so it's it's one of those baffling things. And I mean, look, I'm sure you can go back through every season and there'll be mishaps here and there. But again, with it being such a high profile show, such a build up, so much time in between seasons, again, how many people drop the ball to miss out on these things? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, obviously the conspiracy theorists are out there who are saying that was somebody paid to insert these things as a bit of, you know, maybe did they get monetary gain from, from this absurd. whole thing? I don't buy that for a second. No. I don't buy it either. Well, like I said, the conspiracy I, I theorists just, I feel are like all out there. There's, there's got to be too much. I'm sure that they're out there. I have not seen or read any of that stuff. Um, I feel that uh, there's just too many people uh, with eyes on this thing. It's not just – I can't imagine on a show of this magnitude with HBO that there's just one person whose job it is to check the continuity. Um, I, one thing that I saw today, and again, I don't know uh, the characters or the plots or the storylines. Is there a character um, on this show uh, who, who is a character that is said to have – or a type of character uh, that is said to have no penis. Yes, there is more than one actually, but okay, yes, there's a number of characters without dicks. Wow, more than one. So, I'm sorry. Can you say that one more time? Okay. <laughs> there are <laughs> a number of characters within the the world of Game of Thrones that have no dicks, no penises. Uh, but, but now, of but, course, but not talking about females and talking about a different like a species of human or something not a species of human they're a group of males that are a they're raised to be soldiers that at a young age they have their genitalia removed so that their only focus is that of being soldiers and right that okay is so i saw is, you know i saw then a continu- continuity error today and that one of these characters, this was pointed out, one of these characters was standing in the background of a scene where somebody was talking in close-up, but you could see over this person's shoulder, and I guess like the spandex-type material this person was wearing, like you could totally see the outline of their genitalia. <laughs> oh. And again, one of the things that people, even today, you know, there's a, a certain long-haired friend that we have who's fond of of creating debatable arguments will sit there and argue with me over whether or not these characters, because the show and the movie, uh, the show and the, the, the books are separate, that the characters in the show have their penises, but the characters in the books do not. So in his mind, the characters of the show do still have their dicks, even though they are eunuchs who 
again, you know, supposedly have had their shit clipped and removed. Hmm. Gotcha. <laughs> Thank you for for the clarification on the genitalia. It was it was I, I needed to it's, know. It's so amazing that you know twice now today I've been like just roped into a conversation about these these guys and their lacks of dicks and balls. That did bring up a great question though in this group. Um, like if you had the choice, right, of living your life, mm. would you rather have a life with no balls? Or a life with no dick, but you still had your balls. Well, so no balls, but you dick. You'd have no balls, but you'd still have a dick. Now here's the thing: your dick doesn't work without your balls. But on the same front, if you still have your balls and you don't have a dick, you're still gonna feel horny and all of that kind of excitement. You're just gonna have nothing to actually do anything about it with. Well, I mean, technically, I think the dick would still work for, like, urination purposes. So, I mean, you got that going. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, you'll still yeah, pee. Yeah, well, I, I read about this procedure, though, so I would probably go with the dick because uh, the mm-hmm. reason is that, one, they have uh, artificial testicles that can be inserted, and then mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a mechanism. Uh, I heard of this guy on Howard Stern once, and I, then I, I had read about it. This is like an actual thing. Uh, there's like an inflatable that they can put inside the penis, and then there's like a little button that goes into the scrotum, and you just pump it up, and uh, like, like like a pump shoe, like you pump it up into an erection, and uh, like with this a little button. Reebok, that... baby. I got a Reebok. Yeah, now. yeah, seriously. No, seriously, yeah. and uh, you can you can pump yourself an erection by pushing this button in the scrotum, and uh, then you can then you can deflate it when when you're finished. So uh, with, with the with the <laughs> with the with the marvels of modern technology, I think that that would be something to investigate. <laughs> We've only walked on the moon a couple of times, but thank God we figured out a way to fucking inflate our dicks. Hell yeah, science! High five. Want to meet that guy that created that? He's like, look, guys, I can pull up my dick. No, I am uh, 100% in agreement on that as far as, uh, yes, you know what, take the balls, leave the yeah, dick. Yeah. Even if there is no science to allow my dick to, to inflate, even if it means that the only thing I'll ever use my ding-dong again for is to urinate, at least I don't have to deal with the desire based on the testosterone levels of what would be happening if I still had my nuts but had no penis to use. Yeah, I, I can't imagine anybody saying that they would rather just live with balls. Like, it's like I don't know. I'd rather have these. <laughs> it's just a much more interesting visual, you know, like picture <laughs> that. You know, somebody just just walking around and they're kind of flat like a Ken doll, but they've got like a sack of nuts just hanging down below <laughs> yeah. their legs, you know, between their legs. Yeah, nothing else, just balls. Like, how does that work? Don't worry about it, bro. <laughs> don't question it. Oh, balls. Go, just go with it. The balls are great. No, totally do. It's great, but there's just nothing up there. <laughs> All right, so mm-hmm. Doc, now that you're here, uh, what do you have for our horror news tonight? So uh, this this piece of news came out, I believe, the day after our last show, and I believe that this was posted about on the Facebook page, but it appears that. <clears throat> None other than Chris Rock is jumping into the horror genre 
uh, as the <laughs> executive producer of a reboot of the Scream uh, franchise. You saw? I'm sorry, the Saw franchise. I apologize. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, yeah. apparently this baby, he's going to be executive producing. Uh, there is already a release date, o- October 23rd, 2020. Uh, he's executive producing with both James Wan and Lee Wannell. Uh, and it's going to be directed by Darren Lynn Boosman, who I believe directed Saw 2 and 3, maybe even yeah. more than that. Um, yep. That the uh, Joe Drake, the chairman of Lionsgate, uh, said, mm-hmm. and I quote, when Chris Rock came to us and described in chilling detail his fantastic vision that reimagines and spins off the world of the notorious Jigsaw killer, we were all in, end quote. Um, I, I, I don't care that Chris Rock is known for comedy. Um, yeah. It's just the last, the last Saw film came out in 2017. And I know mm-hmm. that with films like Spider-Man, good. they're like rebooting and rejacking that shit all the time. Uh, yeah. But I just feel that like not this at is that speed, that's, though, man. Yeah, that's true. This is still something that's so super fresh. I mean, the original franchise was still going in two th- 2017. Uh, it just, yeah. it just, the timeline seems so strange to me. Yeah. Uh, My personal opinion, obviously, is that they are looking to capitalize on the whole Jordan Peele phenomena. Um, Mm -hmm. That they are figuring, hey, here we have another African American who would love to make a horror movie, and maybe he has a good idea. And again, judging from what you said. It doesn't sound to me that it is a complete reboot in that it's eliminating what came before it. It sounds to me like it's going to either take place in the world, maybe that occurred, maybe, you know what I mean? Maybe there is a good idea there somewhere. That is at least a hope that I have for it. That being said, I do completely agree. I feel like, hey, listen, man, you know, we have gotten a Saw movie pretty much every fucking year for like, what, seven years in a row, eight years in a row, and then they finally started taking a little bit of a break. And then, yeah, 2017, we had Jigsaw. So, you know, for them to just all of a sudden say, hey, we're going to, you know, do a reboot seems odd. Yeah, and I saw Jigsaw in the theaters when it came out back in 2017, and I found the movie insulting. And I was like, this is just, all right, I'm done. Like, this is, let this be the last one. You know, you've done enough with the, the whole trick and the whole twist and, and having Jigsaw in the movie. Um, you know, so, yeah, like the doc said, it doesn't bother me that Chris Rock wants to do it. More power to him. I mean, look at LeBron James, who wants to reboot the Friday 13th franchise. I mean, it's a lot of these people coming out of the woodwork that want to reboot franchises. It's just that Saw is so new. Like, it's such a modern franchise where I feel like not enough time has passed for them to kind of resurrect it. I feel like you need to let a couple more years pass before you consider resurrecting something that just had a sequel in 2017. Well, I mean, again, I think that is really the big key is that, you know, we just had a sequel just, you know, in 2017. Mm -hmm. I mean, what, the first Saw came out in 2004, 2005, something like that? 2000, no, I think 2003, 2004, yeah, probably around that time. Yeah, it was originally like a short or something like that, so Mm -hmm. uh, there was that, and then, 
Okay, so there you go. I know it went from a short to finally being a, a full movie, which is funny because we've seen, you know, we actually covered a movie recently this year, this year, uh, Terrifier, yeah. which was a very similar mm-hmm. setup where it was a short that went on to, to become a feature film and is now getting a sequel of its own. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting what they do with it. Um, you know, Chris Rock, I like him. So more power to him if he could resurrect it. And I mean, I hate to get resurrected. It's not that old. But I'm interested to see what he has. To see what he could bring to the table. Because just because he's a comedian doesn't mean that he can't have a dark personality. You know, look at Jordan Peele with Ian Peele. And then he yeah, comes of out, course, the thing, out and, just, you know. the thing that's different here to, to not forget is that he's not writing or directing like Peele. Like he's just the executive producer and like maybe, you know, he's got, he's got some, some clout and whatnot as in, the, right. you know, to come in and be an executive producer and obviously brought this idea or whatever this idea is to the table, but he's not writing or directing. Right. Executive producer, executive producer typically means, Hey, you're funding right. this, you know, mm-hmm. this project. So to say, I mean, that, that could simply really be a little bit of publicity saying that he came up with an idea that they're using. Right. And the reality is, is he's simply bankrolling it for a family member or somebody that did come up with this idea. Uh, I think it's all about the name attachment, personally. And, you know, whatever capital he's putting up for it or if he, if he came up with the concept and he's going to get a nod that's going to be a little bit bigger than the executive producer nod, he's going to have to get something on story or screenplay or something. Because if he came up with whatever they're about to do, you get more than an executive producing role. You, know, you get yeah, something to do with the concept. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that it could be a concept idea by Chris Rock as a credit um, for this, you know, rebranding. Of Saw. So he, I think he's definitely going to have more than just an executive uh, producer credit. Um, and I'm just, like I said, looking forward to seeing what they do, um, looking to seeing uh, how they kind of take over the material. You know, I just hope it's not another it's really gonna, of what we got. It's really going to tie everything together with the Saw franchise and, and the Lethal Weapon franchise since they both have Danny Glover. And we're going to finally <laughs> see what Danny Glover does to his daughter's baby daddy. He's too old for this shit. I forgot that Chris Rock was in that that last uh, Lethal Weapon movie. Wow, that's right. Yeah, he was in part four. (laughs) Tying that cinematic universe together. Yeah. That's right, man. Uh, Right, well, we'll we'll, we'll see. I mean, like the the doctor said, 2020 is that predicted date, so that's going to be right around the corner. Seems far away now, but guaranteed it's just going to feel like Halloween when we're like, oh, Halloween's coming out next year, and all of a sudden we're having that premiere. So, see what happens. All right, Doc. Uh, so, what else do you have? Speaking uh, while of premiere, on... you just have a quick question, Doc, because uh, this just ties into something that we'll be doing shortly. Yeah. Uh, when sure. is the next Rambo movie coming out? Just so I know timeline wise. Uh, September. It's it's September. Okay. okay. Um, right. it, it might Sorry, be September twentieth, but it, it's <laughs> September. I'm currently exactly. reading the book, so okay. excellent. Wow. Read the book. We'll talk about that on the side, but read the book. Mm-hmm. Okay, there you go. All right. So, Doc, continue. Yes, I will continue. Uh, while we're on the Please subject continue. of reboots, of reboots, uh, the wrong what? turn, wrong turn, is getting a reboot. Are you repeating time. Yes. Are you Ant Man. Yes. 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 <laughs> 
the original yes, the yes. difference here is that the original writer of the first wrong turn movie, Alan B. McElroy, is crafting a reinterpretation of his own work. Uh, this movie is in production and casted. Uh, is the, the guy that difference sang the song here. Yes, oh, and Macklemore, in, <laughs> instead of a trio of inbred cannibals, uh, the wrong turn will take the leads to a community living in the mountains that's been hidden in there for 250 years. Uh, so the original writer of Wrong Turn is reinterpreting his own story. Hmm. What? Okay, well, and I, he's a good writer because he did do Halloween 4, and I did like the original um, Wrong Turn. But again, just like we just talked about with Saw, the last wrong turn movie was 2014. Not that long ago. So again, let's uh, go back to the original material from the original film and then make another one. It's like, well, I mean, make a sequel at that point. I mean, wrong turn already has seven sequels. Well, it's got six, doesn't it? Does it have seven? I know I own all six. of them. I bought whatever the package right. was. I didn't, I didn't watch them all yet. Um, yeah, I, mean, I know I've watched the first couple. Are you fucking kidding yeah. me? Nope. nope. I, yeah, there's six of them. I, I had no two. idea that there was that there was six. Yeah. And believe me, they get pr- progressively worse. <laughs> they do. Oh, of course they do. These, these, well, no, these are films that make Jason Takes Manhattan look like Othello. Okay, it Oscar-worthy. is inc- it is incredible. Oh, the How first bad one was terrible, the, man. The first oh, one was good. at least entertaining and not yeah, obviously again, yeah, I don't look at any of these films as being scary, but it's kinda no. like you no. know, like what we covered with last week's movie, Final Destination, you know, and this is one of those early two thousand films that had, you know, a hot lead chick. It had a lot of cool just concepts with the whole backwoods thing and the kids kind of get lost there. And what do we see? We see a bunch of, you know, attractive young teenagers getting killed by a bunch of fucking hillbillies. Did it have some stupid moments like them up in those fucking gigantic trees walking around and all that shit? Yes. Okay. But at the same time, it was still entertaining at the time that it came out. Um, like I said, by the time you get to like those later films, it is just absolutely just horrid. So them yeah, going full reboot, I kind of get. <laughs> but again, why not? If you're going to come up with a new concept to rebrand or whatever you want to say, why not just give it another name and just start another franchise? Right turn. A new series coming out. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't know. I don't, know, I don't see why you attach yourself to – like, I get it when you take a Halloween movie, right? And you're like, hey, Halloween 2018, it's going to be the sequel to the first Halloween. Halloween has got, you know, legendary status within the horror yeah. community. Child's Play, legendary status within the horror community at this point. But Wrong Turn is just Wrong Turn. Wrong Turn is a movie that came out already, you know, within the last 20 years that's got six fucking sequels, like I just said, all – just degrading, you know, just degrading all the way down to where, you know, no, just let's let's do away with it because anything to do with the name turns me off. Yeah, and it, yeah, it's not one of those properties where you're like, holy shit, wrong turn. Hell yeah, I want to see a sequel to that. I mean, I prefer part two over the first one only because Henry Rollins is in it. And he's just fucking unchained in that movie. Um, but yeah. yeah, it's not a not a series where I'm like, I can't wait for the next wrong turn film. Like it's just. They could have ended it with the first one. I would have been happy. Yeah. Yeah. 
basically. But again, yeah. this was during that time frame where we had that that CW group of kids just constantly turning up in films. You know, I'd say that went from like 2003 to like 2012. It's like a decade yeah. worth of time in which we just had those kind of films. Yeah, because they're all turn, kind of House of Wax. Yeah, well, that was a remake of a remake. Yes, and I did not mind it because what's her face was smoking hot, so. Harris Hilton? He was in the black. Yeah, no, I'm good on on Paris Hilton. No, what's her name, man? Alicia Cuthbert. Yeah. Yeah, that's the girl next door. Yeah. Well, like, there was one, the, the faculty that had a bunch yeah. of those people in it. And, uh, At least that was a one-off. So I was kind of glad that the faculty just had that one film. It wasn't like yeah, a but as far as those... And it was an original concept. But still, like the, but still from, from films of that era with, you know, shiny TV stars, um, you know, that's more what I was referring to over the quality of the film. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that was, yeah, like the Google said, it's capitalizing on the CW at the time. You know, where can we put these sexy actors and actresses into a film? Let's put them in a horror film because people are going to want to go see it, put it in the summertime as a release. And, yeah, they're going to flock to it because, you know, Josh Hartman's in it or Alicia Cuthbert, or, you know, or Elizabeth Veshku. You know, get all these people, you know, put them in a movie. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Like, uh, I Know What You Did Last Summer has three sequels. Only needs one. <laughs> but for some reason. And, four and of well, the funny movies? thing about I well, there's three of them. Um, he said three sequels. At, oh, two sequels. Three? I thought it, two sequels. That's what I thought. There's three films. Mm-hmm. But again, at yeah. least with I well, seeing again, the thing with I Know What You Did Last Summer actually stems off of a story, you know, that, that well, was the original cool. story. And mm-hmm. then they made the movie for it. And then, yes, obviously the sequels were their own original nightmares. But that was also capitalizing off of Kevin Williamson's popularity in the mid to you know the mid to late nineties at that point. Hey, I'm Kevin Williamson, and I'm a smart, snazzy writer. And look, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and everybody's going to love it. Which you know, I love Scream, and I love Dawson's Creek, and that's about it. But you didn't like teaching Miss Tingle. <laughs> you know, I've yet to watch that one, and I've heard good it's, things it's about okay. it. Yeah. Of which? I mean, uh, teaching Miss Tingle. Tingle. With Barry Watson right, from yeah, Heaven. It's not Katie bad. Holmes. Serviceable. Katie Holmes, yeah. I mean, she was better in Disturbing Behavior than James Marsden than she was in Teaching a Single. But, that's you know, not bringing Disturbing bad. Behavior, dude. I saw that movie in the fucking theaters. Oh, that's Oops. horrible. <laughs> yeah. At least she, uh, and, you know, I, I'd like to say at least she was easy on the eyes, but you know what? She was going for, like, a look that just didn't even fit her well in that movie. So... Yeah, and it was just like, listen, dude, you know what? It's just not you. I know you want to be Michelle Williams, but you're not. No, maybe Michelle Williams is touch and go. I mean, she's okay, but oh, I'm fucking Halloween I'm just going by, their, I'm going by their Dawson's Creek characters, you know? <laughs> yeah, no. yeah, yeah. I was going to say, if you're talking about Michelle Williams, I mean, she's progressively better as an actress than Katie Holmes is. Oh, no, I, yeah, no, that I agree with. That I do agree with. Yeah, I mean, at least that's what I've always thought. Um, just except for Halloween H two O, which is just a bomb of a movie. <laughs> but you yeah. know, that I again, don't fault her. I fault that movie. And that was also a Kevin Williams and originally scripted film. So I'm kind of you know, yep, 
again, trying to capitalize on the screen, trying to get his name mm. out there. We're smart. But smart mm. horror. Smart. Oh. See, they didn't think about it then. Nowadays, they would call that elevated horror. It's smart. Would they, though? Do you think they would consider a screen nowadays elevated horror? Or uh, like Cowan H2O just because it's got a snappy dialogue in it? I mean, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Nah. Well, no, definitely, no, definitely not be. H2O for certain. No. Uh, <laughs> no way. That's not – no, no, no. Yeah. I mean, Scream would be probably be considered very – they'd probably use the term meta back then, meta. the way they use that yep. term today. Scream was very meta. Um. I don't know if that would be considered elevated horror, too, but, like, you know, at that point in time, though, in the genre, uh, the, the something that you would call elevated horror now wasn't really a thing. Uh, you had, like, The Sixth Sense, and then you had, like, The Others a couple years after that a, that were, like, more thriller. serious movies. Um, I mean, that, yeah, that's a ghost story. That would fall under, like... Uh, you know the genre, um, but the other, yeah, absolutely, yeah. But like, there, all of the horror movies that were coming out were like made like for a teenage audience, starring a teenage recognizable television cast. Yeah, uh, you know, with the exception of a few movies that came out and hit the big screen that were more like adult in theme or nature. Um, now that seems to be kind of like a genre in itself. Which is good because it means that maybe there's films being made with like a a, a, a headier story or uh, you know a more more serious in nature than some silly jump scare you know teenagers getting killed mm-hmm. horror movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that was a specific era too because I don't think you see that as much nowadays with a lot of the teen actors getting involved in the horror genre. I mean, here and there, there's movies like Truth or Dare comes out, and it's got people from Pretty Little Liars in it, but I don't think you see it as much as you did back in the mid-2000s. Happy Death when, Day. Um, I, well, I think it's still, it's still there. It's, it's just not – I just don't think it's at that point right now where it is as theatrical. You know what I mean? Yes. Like the majority mm-hmm. of the movies that we're seeing that are getting made like that now are the ones that are going straight digital. Um, whereas mm-hmm. during that time frame, they were all the theatrical releases because they were the popular films. Scream was popular. They were making bank, you know? Um, Truth or Dare, you know, I think that was one of those films that was capitalizing again on its cast. You had the chick from Pretty Pretty Little Liars, Lucy Hale. Um, you know, I think I, I personally did not hate that movie. Uh, I know a lot of people do. I've only watched it the one time, though. So, I mean, maybe with another viewing, I'll be like, okay, you know what? This wasn't as entertaining. Um, It doesn't hurt either, though, that she's very easy on the eyes. So it probably probably did lend to distraction. Well, and that's why I did appreciate the fact that you brought up Happy Death Day, uh, because I'm a huge fan of both the first and second film. I didn't recognize any of the actors that were in it. I wasn't like, oh, I know her from that teen show. It was just a fun movie. That was kind of a callback to the early 2000s, where you have a bunch of attractive-looking people in a movie, uh, and one of them is getting killed, and it's kind of a mystery. So that's why I kind of liked it, is that they were going back to what worked back then and kind of putting it into modern times. And it was a fun experience. But the other thing you got to think about now, too is for us back then when we would say, oh, hey, those are the people from those teen shows. 
Well, that's right. because we were also just coming out of our teens and we were in our early 20s. We were still very much in the cultural zeitgeist of seeing those people in those teen shows. Now we don't watch them as much. I mean, I know you watch Riverdale, um, I do, yeah. which I guess could be, could be classified as such. But again, I know, like, I know I'm not watching what would be the stereotypical teen shows anymore. I mean, you know, again, I, right. I watch the originals. I watch Legacies. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm only watching the one because it's a spinoff of the other. Well, and they're over now, right? Like, the originals is done. Vampire Diaries is done. And now they have Legacies. Which is the, the, I like could never watch. I could never watch the Vampire Diaries. I've even tried, man, but uh, it's just not dark enough for me. And Legacies feels like it's more in that vein, but Again, it's continuing the story, and yeah, the season just ended for that. So, okay, all right, all right, Doc. Uh, so, what's next uh, for us with all this news? Um, apparently, the Jason Reitman uh, Ghostbusters three, that is a direct sequel to Ghostbusters two, is going to uh, has a release date of July tenth, two thousand twenty, but also will be relying on puppets and mechanicals over CGI. Uh, wherever they can, um, which I appreciate. I, yeah, I, like I the mean, they're going practical. The the thing with that though, it'll be curious to see what truly happens because uh, Dan Aykroyd, who I'll get to with his nonsense in just a moment, uh, has oh, also has also said in his uh, in his quotes about the Ghostbusters three is that unlike the 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 female-led Ghostbusters from a couple of years ago, uh, he proclaimed that that movie didn't make a profit because the budget got wildly out of control. And uh, he said he takes partial responsibility because he was a producer and wasn't really keeping a close eye, but that uh, that film was not able to turn such a huge profit because while it did pull in a respectable amount of money on the global market, its budget was so high that there was not a lot of profit uh, that would have warranted continuing that storyline in any way. Um, so he's proclaiming that the budget for this Ghostbusters 3 uh, is going to be uh, not a very big budget, and they're going to be looking to do it as cheap as they can realistically. Uh, less than $100 million uh, they're talking about. Wow. So it'll be interesting to see what, what they can do uh, mechanically uh, and with puppets these days in 2019 when CGI is so quick and efficient. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, I, I mean, said, I, I I've think... always been practical. Yeah, no, no, you go, man. It's cool. No, I was going to say, I just, I love practical. So anytime a, uh, somebody goes out there and says, I want to make a practical film, I'm on board. I just don't like CGI. I don't like the aesthetic. I can tell it's fake. Uh, I just I don't like that. I'd rather have puppets. I'd rather have somebody in a suit. I mean, look back at Ghostbusters 1984, where it was a lot of practical effects, like the terror dogs, like Stay Puff. It's a guy in a fucking suit, but it looks cool. <laughs> so I like it even today watching that movie and going, yeah, it's all practical, but it's fun. It's not CGI. I mean, the, it's on the, 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 the dogs were stop motion. Um, I mean, like those are the kind of like when I when I think of the things that they could add to and actually improve if they were to use CGI correctly, those are the kind of things that come into my mind. Stay Puft, I thought right. was fantastic. So I mean, that's something yeah. that I would leave I would leave alone. You know, I mean, again, we 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 nana and poo poo on CGI a lot, 
And, you know, we all talk about practical this and that, but we also got to remember something. Green screen has been around for a long time, man. And that's, you know, I mean, pretty much that's that's what CGI is today. Um, That being said, I would rather them use practical and use CGI, obviously, to enhance said practical. There's no reason to completely dismiss it because it does have a place. And if it's something that's going to at least give you a tangible object but still make something seem a little bit more believable, then, you know, I'm all for it. That being said, I also don't think the budget was what the problem was with that Ghostbusters movie. I think they needed to actually make a a funny movie. It would have helped if they wrote a better film. Right, because you saw it, right? You actually watched Ghostbusters from 2016. I, I did. I own it. I own okay. it. Okay. I never saw I was, it. Like I, I, was, I have nothing to say about it. I just, I, did, I have no interest in seeing it. But I wanted to get that perspective of what went wrong. You know, with with what something on paper sounded really good because you have a lot of funny actresses in the film. You know, bring it mm-hmm. back, have an original story. But yeah, it's one of those things where you just wonder what went wrong. I just feel like they never capitalized on those particular personalities. I just don't think they played to each actress's strengths. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, you watch the original Ghostbusters, and it's Bill Murray doing what Bill Murray does and what he does well. Right. It's Dan Aykroyd doing what Dan Aykroyd does and doing it well. It's Harold Ramis doing what Harold Ramis does and doing it well. And then there's Ernie Hudson. Um <laughs> I feel Burn, like in the 2016 you. film, they just, it, it was almost like they wrote the wrong parts for each person. Like, it just did not fit to each one of those actresses. Mm-hmm. That's making any right. sense. I don't know. Doc, what did you think? You saw it. Right. Yeah. Um. I just think that a lot of the humor missed and where mm-hmm. in the original Ghostbusters you had Bill Murray Hal Ramis, Dan Aykroyd and I know Ernie Hudson was there too but he wasn't as known as the other three you had three highly recognizable humongous movie stars playing those roles and you fully believed them in those roles uh, I didn't buy the 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 particular actresses' performances of those characters, I didn't. I just didn't buy them as real. I didn't buy them as as, as scientists. I didn't. Buy, I just didn't buy them as even taking their roles seriously within that movie. I had zero problem with the fact that they had a female cast. I could care less. I went and saw it in the movie theater. Um, right. You know, I thought the cameos uh, were lame when original Ghostbusters showed up, um, I just thought a lot of stuff kind of fell flat. And then I felt that the all out kind of ghost carnage at the end, like one on the big screen looked super, super fake. And we were talking about CGI. Um, but I just didn't mostly didn't buy the actresses in those roles. Uh, like they seemed to me that they were like playing Ghostbusters at like a costume party. Um, and were trying throughout the course of a party to, stay in character. I just didn't buy it, you know, and maybe, maybe that was my biggest, uh, my biggest little thing with it. Mm-hmm. I know I, uh, I read interviews with Melissa McCarthy after the film came out and didn't do well. 
Uh, I read interviews with Leslie Jones, who did interviews after the movie didn't do well. Melissa McCarthy felt like people just didn't get it. They didn't really understand what they were going for. And Leslie Jones just assumed the role of, it's because it's women, that you guys didn't like it. And it's, you have arguments on both sides. But like you guys had said, the jokes just didn't work. It just wasn't effective. So, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing. And I love Melissa McCarthy. You know what I mean? I oh, think yeah. she's hysterical. Like, when she's on, she is on, and she is so fucking funny. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I know, like, another movie that, of course, I own as well that unfortunately just did not did not accomplish what I was hoping. And again, speaking of fucking practicals, you know, the Happy Time Murders. Um, oh, okay. I didn't see was that. Her in it. And, uh, yeah, you know, it, it had some moments that were, were truly funny. Unfortunately, they were just very few and far between, and it just could not keep up its pace. And then, I don't know, there was something just real twisted about it at the end where you find out that it was, you know, Jim Henson's son who actually mm. put that whole thing together. And you just think about, like, the bastardization of, like, what his father did throughout his life, you know? Um yeah, but hey, it is what it is. It's what the studio was doing, and that's what they wanted to do. So I guess, you know, more power to them for having fun with it. Yeah, that movie struck me as like a trailer. It's going to show you all the good shit. And when you see the actual movie, it's not going to work because you saw it all in the trailer. You're not wrong. You're not wrong <laughs> at all. And I, I believe me, I really wish, I really wished that you were because I, I really, <laughs> you know, not to say I had high hopes for it. I just, really? I had. I had hopes for it, you know. It just seemed yeah. like something that could be could be very entertaining and very funny. And it's unfortunate. But uh, the other thing I know that the, the doc had kind of hinted at is that Dan Aykroyd, crazy little man that he is, he's got another idea for Ghostbusters, and I think that's what he was getting towards. So, Doc, uh, uh, yeah, that's that. exactly what I was getting towards. So, Dan Aykroyd, and I don't, I don't, I wish I didn't feel this way. I truly don't, because uh, Dan Aykroyd is like. As far as comedy is concerned, for my influential years when I was growing up, like he's one of the Mount Rushmore guys, and I feel oh, yeah. that he has, like his career has gone so far in the other direction of success all the way into now in 2019 that I feel like any time that like it just everything that he talks about, especially when it be, refers to the Ghostbusters universe, just to me reeks so desperately of just desperation and I have nothing else yeah. left and and so on and so forth. So anyway, he has written what he's calling a Ghostbusters prequel that's called mm. Ghostbusters High, uh, where teenage versions of Stance, Spengler, and Venkman will meet in New Jersey in 1969, and he is developing that as he says that's something that he won. He did say that this is this idea is something for like way down the line, seeing how Jason Reitman's film does, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but he he envisions this is like an actual film or possibly even like a series, like a Netflix series. And he even quoted, he even said that we we need to take a a page from these guys in Stranger Things, um, which mm. is funny because Finn Wolfhard is going to be in the the Jason Reitman Ghostbusters movie. Yes, but um, 
<laughs> and, you know, one of the things that even before the female casted Ghostbusters, uh, for all the years that Ackroyd was trying to get an actual Ghostbusters 3 off the table, uh, there was all those that talk of it being one of those movies where, you know, the older Ghostbusters are going to pass the torch to a new generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just reeks so strongly of desperation to me. And, like, I feel so bad, but whenever I hear Dan Ackroyd talking about the Ghostbusters universe and what his plans are, because he's been able to get nothing off the ground since Ghostbusters 2, for whatever reason, I just roll my eyes so fucking hard. Yeah, I, I want to get to the ghoul about this, but I wanted to add my two cents because I, I posted the article on the Facebook page of Talking Terror about Ghostbusters High and how he has these expectations because he put it on Jason Reitman's table. It's there. He's envisioning a TV series maybe or a movie. He's got all these other ideas. I kind of feel bad for Dan Aykroyd. I really do because I feel like he's just so entrenched in Ghostbusters. Like you could tell he loves Ghostbusters. He loves ghosts. He loves the technology. He loves the series. He I don't feel that way at all. I think he does. I really do think that he has such a soft spot to Ghostbusters. I'm not saying he doesn't have a soft spot, but I think I think more than anything, it's like a a desperate clinging to do something to get his name back to some level of success holding on to this one property that he has some hand in that he can try and do something with, but he's been nothing but a failure with it since Ghostbusters 2. I think that argument could be made. I just, I honestly, from my opinion anyway, I just feel like he's just so entrenched in Ghostbusters. I mean, he's been talking about Ghostbusters I mean, at one point, at one point, uh, he was endorsing like a brand of vodka, and you could have met him at the freaking Costco in Freehold, New Jersey, and have him sign your vodka bottle. That's how yeah, far that dude has fallen. Mm-hmm. And now he's doing a thing online with uh, one of the online uh, boutique uh, kind of things. If you donate some money, you could meet him and Ernie Hudson, and you could do a VR Ghostbusters thing where you bust ghosts together and then watch Ghostbusters. So, you know, and he has it on his Facebook page. Uh, you could, you know, uh, get your name in there and win the grand prize of hanging out with Ernie Hudson and him and bust ghosts for a day. So he's just, like I said, I just think he never left. Like after 89. I think he mentally checked out and just wanted nothing more than to do more Ghostbusters movies because he loves that series so much. And when he goes on these YouTube videos and he's looking at fan-made Ecto-1s and he's just admiring the dedication, I mean, he, he, he just, he's, he's in the Ghostbusters world. Like, he never left. And that's why I kind of feel bad for him. But uh, go ahead, What do you think about Ghostbusters High? I mean, listen, I hate fucking prequels. I really do. I'm, yeah. just, I'm not a fan of them at all. Uh, anytime, you know, uh, I one of the things I love about film and TV and things like that is you get entrenched, you get attached to characters, and something like that, one of the things you get attached to is the risk involved with it. Um, like, one of the, like we were talking about Game of Thrones earlier. One of the things getting churned around is that they're going to do a prequel series of Game of Thrones. The only reason why okay. I'm even okay, you know, with it as far as, like, I'm going to check it out is it's taking place, like, 3,000 years prior to everything that happened in Thrones. So all the characters that you know are not even, like, a fucking, not even a, a, a miasma yet at this point. You know, they're, they're nothings. Um, but this... This I think is kind of kind of silly to do. I mean, we know what what are they going to do? They're they're going to get into an argument. Oh my God, the Ghostbusters are never going to get together. No, we know they do. Right. We know what happens. <laughs> yeah. So if we already know the result, then why the fuck do I want to watch the story? Um, that being said, I do agree with the Doc on you know he is. I think he likes to work and. Mm-hmm. 
I do think he, again, he's had success, and then he's had failures. But that's, I know you look at it and you think it's like this this small part of his career, but it's really been the whole of his career. Yeah. He's always yeah, done a lot of different things with varying levels of success. I mean, you know, it's just one of those those things, you know, for every fucking, I don't know, I, I, for every Ghostbusters, you end up with like a Caddyshack 2, you know what I mean? Oh, or yeah. just, just any number of other things that he's done over the course of the years. But, I always prefer but, him in his background roles. I always like when he mm-hmm. kind of comes in as like a cameo somewhere, which is something small, something quick, does his little yeah, thing, but, and then gets the hell off the screen. Dude, he wasn't, one, he wasn't in, in the Caddyshack series at all. Who was the um, Dan Aykroyd was in Caddyshack too. He was the uh, he was Tom Ever, character. bro. Yep. Wait. He was the groundskeeper in part two. Get my facts together here. Oh yeah, there he is, Caddyshack too. How <laughs> yeah. about that? Yeah. Um, yeah. Apologies mm-hmm. for my apologies for my um my 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 mistake. But like one Saturday Night Live. Homeboy was a fucking blues brother. Um, yep. And then he did Blues Brothers 2000. Trading. Well, that's another thing. That's another one of these things that he does that just reek of desperation. <laughs> yeah. And I truly believe yeah. that. Um, that. That is horrible. I mean, that's just. Blues Brothers. Dude, Homeboy was in Trading Places, which I will argue to the ends of the earth is the greatest comedy movie ever made. Um, it's a great film, but that well, same year my, he also my, did Doctor. De- that same year he did Doctor Detroit. I love Doctor Detroit, though. That's one of my favorite movies. I'll defend that one. Ghostbusters, Spies Like Us, Dragnet, The Great Outdoors. He did some drama, some highly regarded drama, uh, Driving Miss Daisy, yeah. and My Girl. He's in a. Very, very. I don't know if you guys ever saw this one. A very underrated early '90s thriller called Sneakers. Coneheads. Yes. Yep. Sneakers is good. Yeah, the one. Well, Coneheads. You know, I, saw all, all, I actually saw that in the yeah. movie theaters, dude. Yeah, man, that's a really that's a really fun, snappy film. Yeah. Uh, I love sneakers. Mm-hmm. So you know the the Coneheads. You know that's something that's a Saturday Night Live property. All those guys make their Saturday Night Live movies. Um, mm-hmm. You know. Uh, he had a funny small part in uh, in Tommy Boy. Still, oh, uh, yeah, hanging on to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, and again, like you also, know, when when he hit that point where he was just doing those little walk-on roles, I yeah. was always fine yeah. with it. You know what I mean? Like that's the thing. Yeah, stay at that. Stay at that level. You're at that advanced age. You want to write. You want to do this. You want to do that. That's fine. But I, I don't know. You, you're chomping at the bit. You know, listen, he's in well, one of here, our favorite here's movies. The thing. I know you love it too. He's in Evolution, remember? He was like the governor or whatever. Yes, yeah. No, that's not one of my favorite movies, but I think it has some funny shit. But So movies. after Blues Brothers 2, right? So let's, as far as like stuff by name. So Blues Brothers 2000, which comes out in 1998, which is weird that it's called Blues Brothers 2000. But it comes out <laughs> in 1998, and, it's a, and I've seen it. And I've seen 2K, it. Dude. I know, and that's I've seen true. it. And I've seen it more than once, and I saw it, in the it is yeah. it is a lousy movie. Uh, although at the the swamp jam thing at the end, 
uh, when BB King leads a band of like every great fucking musician in the universe through how blue can you get? Uh, It has a fantastic, one of the most fantastic uh, movie musical numbers ever. But after that, after, after blues brothers, 2000, with the exception of evolution, he is, he has a shit ton of credits, a shit ton of credits of things that I've never even heard of. Um, a shit uh, Pearl Harbor? That was a huge movie. No, well, 2001. <laughs> Crossroads was the movie. The Crossroads was the movie with Britney Spears in it. Oof. Yeah. Okay, you but know, that's almost a huge dates. movie. It was at the time, actually. Um, Fifty First Dates, a very popular Adam Sandler movie with Drew Barrymore. Yeah, uh, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry, another quite popular movie in 2007. Uh, yeah. The campaign was totally taking on the whole thing with the uh, the Obama administration and all that stuff. I mean, there's he was a co brother in that one. Yeah. A lot, th- there's a lot of popular films here. They just weren't popular to you. That's all. Dude, the, dude, the movie American. Crossroads. The movie Crossroads took in thirty-seven million dollars domestic. Dude, fucking bomb. But it's popular it over was, time, though. That movie. It was popular with the young crowd, though, at the time, man. Believe yeah. me, my sisters were all about that shit. It's, that's mm-hmm. not the kind of movie that makes money in the theaters. That's the movie that everybody bought DVDs, this and that, and you can't really call that a bomb, bro. It was a budget of twelve million and took in sixty-one million. <laughs> Yeah, but still, so, is that, what, is that a Dan? Do you call that? that? Do you call that? Do you call that a Dan Aykroyd movie? No, no, of course but not. But you're saying that you're, you're talking about a list of credits, but none of those are Dan Aykroyd movies. This no. is what I'm saying. Like this is the point where he's, he's sitting there role. doing walk-on yep. roles, except for Yogi. Oh, I'm sorry, Yogi Bear. He played Yogi Bear in the Yogi Bear movie. Yeah. A what? A voice. He voice was work? the voice of Yogi Bear, the CGI <laughs> character. I don't even know they made a fucking Yogi Bear movie. They made two of them. In 2010, dude. They made two of them. Jeez. Yeah. You know, Tammy mm. was a popular movie with Melissa McCarthy yep. in 2014. I mean, again, all of the he pixels. You know, I didn't like the movie Pixels all that much, and I wanted to. Believe me, as a video game fan, I wanted to like that movie. Is that the Adam Sandler? Is that the Adam Sandler movie? Yes, it is. You know, Pixel. he was in that. He's gonna he's gonna be in Zombieland Double Tap. Yep, with Bill but Murray. What I'm with Bill Murray, and again, he's playing himself. So I'm guessing we're gonna get again a similar thing. Maybe he'll be leading Zombie Bill Murray around or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Nothing But Trouble is my favorite Dan Aykroyd movie. So take that with what you will. Oh, yeah. directed that one. I love Nothing But Trouble. And watch it with all fucking yeah, I know work. other people. I never liked that one. I know other people. I think my brother really liked that one. I never really liked that one. I, I never liked that one either, man. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's so good. I never liked that one at all. You know Just, what I always yeah, love? And, it, and it's one of those that I, you know, I don't know if he's, I remember, I, if I remember right at the time, he wasn't credited, but I remember knowing as a kid, he's the guy that puts Indiana Jones on the plane in the beginning of Temple of Doom. Yeah. And the only reason yeah, why yeah. I recognize him is his voice was so distinct. It was like yeah, so yeah. Super over the top voice. that you could, you could totally hear that it was Dan Aykroyd, but it was like one of those <laughs> yeah. where it's like, you know, no. like you just Total distinct, didn't know what a totally a distinct it. voice. And, uh, you know, similarly, you know, for something like that, there are some actors out there that just have like com- completely distinct voices uh, that that you totally know. There's a an absurd absurd movie uh, with Richard Pryor that's called Critical Condition, 
and uh, he plays okay. like a low-level wannabe businessman uh, who ends up in the beginning like he caught in some. Shit, doesn't he has like a heart attack or something? No, 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 no. He he is getting sent to jail because he gets caught up in like with some loan shark because he's trying to get a loan to start a business, and he tries to I'm he tries of a to different plead. Movie. No, he tries to he tries to plead insanity in court, and they send him to the hospital for like a 24-hour watch. And in that time, uh, the hospital uh, goes out of commission, and he ends up trying to p- pretend that he's a doctor, uh, and ends up in all these situations where he has to try and help because people think he's a doctor. Uh, but anyway, he tries mm. to escape, and he runs out of I'm the building. I'm thinking of a movie gets... with Bob Hoskins with, that's critical something. I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. Critical you. Condition. Yeah, no, Bob I think Hoskins I know what you're talking about. But in 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 this one, he he he's like, oh. I'm going to steal an ambulance and just escape from this hospital and, and get out of here. And he gets in the hospital and takes off. And you hear, like, this voice, and you barely see a person going, hey, come back here with my ambulance. And I was like, wait a second, I know that voice. And it was Wesley Snipes. Um, <laughs> like, like another one that has, like, a, like a completely unique voice, a recognizable voice. But uh, getting back to Dan Aykroyd, you know, I just – like what my point was, and yes, so you've pointed out some things that he's been in that, that sound to me like inconsequential bit parts uh, for someone that was, that was top billing on a lot of movies, a lot of hugely successful movies. And I just feel that when he gets into this fucking Ghostbusters mode, it's like some – sounds like some desperate attempt to like get his name back up there on the poster, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. That's my point. It's just like – I don't get excited when I hear Dan Aykroyd talk about Ghostbusters projects. It makes me feel bad for him. It makes me feel like, oh, yeah. here, we, here we go again, you know? And I hate to play timekeeper boys, but we have to get into the movie tonight. Uh, that is the Doc's pick, which is Bun Man, a.k.a. the untold story. Uh, so I want to make sure we have a little bit of leeway. Oh, we'll, have, we'll, have, we'll have plenty of time to talk about Bun Man. Remember, there's only three of us. There's only three of us tonight. There's only three of us tonight. Well, so we, I was so, going to make you know, sure that we cover I know the, the monkey is a man of many words, but, you know, there's only <laughs> yeah. three voices tonight. Well, then I'll leave it to you guys because I want to make sure we have enough time to talk about the movie. No, we'll, so. we'll get to it. I only, I only got a couple more things. A couple more things. Um... King, I saw you post about this today. Uh, Stephen King, I guess everything that this man has ever done needs to be turned into a film. Uh, so his short story, or I'm sorry, his his novel, uh, written as Richard Bachman in 1979 called The Long Walk, is uh, now yeah. becoming a feature film. And I have to say, yeah. uh, this is one that I have never heard of. I have never heard really? of The Long Walk. Really? You've never heard of The Long Walk? It wasn't a movie already? I have already? never heard of The Long Walk. Mm-mm. It was supposed to be a movie a couple years ago by Frank Darabont. He was actually going to adapt it into a movie <clears throat> after The Mist. Um, but that project never got any ground and never got any budget, so they never did it. But now they're going to make it into a movie with Andre Overdahl, who's directing Scary Stories and Telling the Dark coming out this summer. Uh, yes. Yeah, no, Doc. Yeah, the plot, the plot the, sounds – The, the plot book, of the – Read it. Yeah, man, the story sounds pretty cool. I like the sound of the story. I just, I'm I just surprised that it rings zero bells. I've never heard of it. Yeah, uh, Ghoul, or is this one you know of? No, you know, it's funny, though. When you say the name, it's, it's something that sounds like a familiar film, um, or at least the name of it does. But, you know, there's probably a whole bunch of other movies that have names similar to that. You know, The Long Walk Home, this one and that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, no, it's not, it's not one that I know of. You know, like, I've never, I never really read a lot of the Richard Bachman stuff, so... 
Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's it's a place in a dystopian, uh, it's place in a dystopian future. Um, you have a, a group of teenagers in a particular town, and they're forced to walk in this long competition where they have to walk uh, for thousands of miles. And whoever lasts and makes it is going to be the king of that particular place where they're from um, and get all the rewards. But along the way, if you stop walking for whatever reason, if you get tired, they shoot you on sight. And yeah, it says you have to keep you have to keep a pace of exactly four miles an hour for the entire time. Yep. And you and just can't you stop walking. These people getting exhausted. What's the age range of the uh, of the the people? They're t- teenagers, sixteen, I think. 13, sixteen, 14. maybe. Yeah, thirteen. Makes perfect young. sense why they'd want to do this out of everything else. I mean, again, think about it. Right now, capitalizing on the popularity of these films that are using young yeah. talent in smart alecky, smart ass ways. That you know, it's it's something I think that I think that Kevin Williamson would be proud of. You know, you're taking young children and having them have innocent but almost adult-like personalities and conversations. Um, mm-hmm. And it's again with the popularity of it and everything else, Stranger Things, all of that stuff. Yep. Yeah, the long so walk is one that sounds interesting film. to me. I might write. I might yeah. read it actually. I hope, yeah, I hope you guys do. Yeah, I'm going to try, I'm gonna try and read it, too. Uh, out of all the Richard Bachman stories that Stephen King wrote, that was the one that always stuck with me, and I always thought it would make for a perfect movie because of how it's presented and how graphic it gets with its nature of these teenagers being gunned down by these guards because they can't keep pace, even though they're getting tired and being exhausted. Like It's, just, it's a really great book, so if you guys could check it out. I know that they have it online. You could pr- I know they were selling it for a little while under the Stephen King banner, uh, the Long Walk, just a standalone story that you could buy. Things like eight bucks, probably even cheaper now. You could probably find it on Amazon or eBay. Yeah, so I saw that. Um, it sounds kind of interesting. Be curious to see what they do with that. And then I. Did you just vanish? Uh, did we lose? Yeah. Did we lose him? He <laughs> sounded like he trailed out too, like like he totally did it on purpose. <laughs> did he get the Thanos snap? Oh shit. It happened. And he did drop. He officially dropped. So he got the Thanos snap. Unfortunately. All so of that, all of that investment in that in that <sighs> big studio and yeah. you know, all that kinda kinda thing, man, and yet you know, he still drops. Damn, all that money. Damn well, you and your California ways, man. It's all them stoners running them fucking them cable companies and, and phone stuff. <laughs> oh, California <man>. fucking Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> <Tried. laughs> uh, yeah. <clears throat> well, uh, he's going to call back in, I'm sure. But I want to get to his pick of uh, Bun Man because I want to get out of the way <laughs> tonight. Um so yeah, uh, so we can't, we we can't intro the movie without him being here, being that it's his pick. Well, I don't know when he's going to call back in because so far he hasn't, and we're at fifty minutes, uh, fifty-two minutes rather. So I want to get to it. So I will try to do my intro for him, uh, and then he'll just call back in, and I'm sure to give his thoughts. But uh, uh, do it as him. So yeah, the uh, untold story, fun man. Mm-hmm. Uh, directed by Herman Yao, 1993. Well, it's a movie about a, a guy that uh, kills 
people and makes them into human barbecue buns. And the Hong Kong police investigate these murders because they find a bunch of body parts to wash up on shore, and you have one man that's a potential suspect, and uh, we get what proceeds. And I'm back. And he's back. All right. Uh, sorry, I don't know what happened. My Google voice shit, shit down. So what was the last thing I said? I don't know if that was you doing the doctor or if that was you doing William Shatner as the doctor, but either way, <laughs> that was great. Um, I appreciate that. I've uh, done my best. You were getting ready to introduce whatever the last little bit of news was. What's that? You were getting ready to introduce the last bit of news. Okay, yeah. So Jennifer Kent, who wrote and directed The Babadook, uh, I had talked about her previous – I had previously talked about how her next feature is going to be called uh, The Nightingale or Nightingale. And uh, it's – Babadookie. <laughs> It's set during the colonization of Australia in 1825, and this girl, Claire, has uh, completed some type of indentured servitude. Are you a virgin, Claire? I I don't know, uh, but everybody wants to know. Uh, But anyway, uh, the master, who is her ruler, I guess, refuses to let her go, and he and uh, some of his uh, cronies – uh, brutally attack and assault her in some way and leave her for dead and there's no justice and basically she needs to set out after them and seek revenge. It's basically a revenge flick, uh, but it <laughs> takes place in 1825, so it's a period piece. I watched the trailer today and the trailer looks pretty cool. It's like pretty atmospheric. Uh, it, it, it looks like it has an interesting look to it. The characters all have like interesting looks to them and I'm curious to see what she comes up with next. Great. Yeah. Look and to while... Did you share that trailer with us? Uh, no, but I will do that uh, immediately. No, don't you think you should have done it before you decided to bring it up as a news article so that maybe we could all partake in this this exciting <laughs> journey of trailerness that you went on? Would, no, that because sometimes, sometimes you don't even check the Google message, the, the messages. But anyway, yeah. uh, this movie, The Night Yale, is, uh, is, uh-huh. is being put out. Brightburn comes out the, this week. That's yeah, right. I can't wait. Brightburn. Um, we've, we've all seen the trailer for that. I yeah. haven't. Well, yes, you did. Thank you for sharing that with me. The trailer, I mean. I did. Sh- I uh, did share that with the group actually a couple yeah, months ago. Yeah, you did. <laughs> but anyway, but anyway, it, it's the fucked uh, up so Superman-looking movie. There's something. There's something that I wanted to ask About you guys Manny. because uh, with this Nightingale movie, which is going to be put out into the theater by IFC Films, like IFC stands for the Independent Film Channel, and. With my Sling subscription that I have, IFC is one of the, the channels that I get, uh, you know, that is in, like, my rotation of channels that I scan through to see what's on. Uh, and I found uh, – well, I found and – and it's curious to me, and I want to see if this is something that you guys have even noticed, but it seems to me that there is nothing at all any more independent about the independent film channel. Uh, and just looking at their lineup right now, some of the things being shown – on the IFC channel at this moment include Risky Business, Revenge of the Nerds, Kick-Ass 2, uh, a Rocky Marathon, uh, the, the marathons of the sitcom Two and a Half Men. Uh, does not sound like anything having to do with what I know is IFC. Uh, no, have you guys they, noticed they, that at all? Do you guys watch that TV yeah. at all? I don't watch much TV, do. but I've been, I've been noticing the, that this is the programming on IFC these days. Yeah, they're not the IFC that I was used to back in the, the early, like the mid '90s and 2000s. They're just they've gone completely away from the original content, uh, short films of, of weird, obscure films that you might never heard of. 
whether it's romance or comedy or horror, now they're just kind of doing mainstream films, you know, and that's what they're known for now. So it's not the IFC that it used to be. Uh, yeah, I feel, like, oh, I, mean, I feel like people like, like money. Like, no, I was just saying, yeah, people like money, you know. I mean, that's the that's the reason why you go with Two and a Half Men. It's a syndicated show that you probably don't pay a lot for, but that people tune the fuck in for. I, I know I'm a fan of the, that show, especially the earlier seasons. Um, no, Charlie yeah, Sheen years were, were fantastic. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. they've been doing more Rocky marathons than, like, AMC and TBS. Uh, I mean, the only thing I would give with that is, is you could take the original Rocky – and you can look at the original Rocky as being somewhat of an independent film. Yeah, um, but what about two, three, four, and five? Let's take that. I mean, if you really wanted me to to try to make a stretch on it, that's the success that that first independent film was able to achieve and create out of that popularity. And again, I'm stretching, man. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. I I don't know. But like I said, started off with they like money. Mm-hmm. They do. So anyway, right, so. you know, I just had been noticing that, and I'm like, what the fuck? This isn't this isn't a, you know, this isn't IFC. Um, no. But anyway, I feel like the most mainstream movie that you used to see on like IFC would be like a like Pulp Fiction or something like that. Um, yeah. But on that, that note, the final the the true final thing that I did have while well, I mentioned Pulp Fiction by Quentin Tarantino. Uh, everybody, I'm assuming everybody got to look at the, the new Once Upon a Time trailer. Once Upon a uh, Time yeah. Hollywood trailer. Um, it's looking pretty fucking cool, no? Oh my god, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't fucking wait for this movie. Like that second trailer that uh, the Gold posted in the, uh, the group chat. Fucking yeah, the new sold. one. The new one. Yeah, yeah they, I was sold. I was like, this movie the look, the look of uh, Hollywood in the '60s looks awesome. Yeah. Uh, so they screened it at the Cannes Film Festival, and. Uh, you know, while Tarantino has begged people not to talk about it, uh, the the quote that I saw was that it is a bold masterpiece. But um, I yeah, I mean, it looked great. I mean, the trailer yeah, it looks awesome. And you know, so from fun. what I, from what I've been reading now, like a little bit more about the the plot uh, that this is a kind of tale of the three different classes of Hollywood in the 1960s. The you know, like the high Hollywood, uh, top shelf Hollywood. Uh, and then the kind of Hollywood on the decline, like the people in that level that are on the decline, which is supposed to be the Leonardo DiCaprio character. And then finally, the ones that are a little bit further out, uh, you know, which might be where like the Manson family comes in. Uh, they were strongly talking again, uh, how that this is, do not be confused, uh, that this is not a Charles Manson movie, uh, that, that the Manson, Charles Manson and the Manson family are like not even close to primary figures in the film. Uh, but, you know, there is some of that there. So uh, regardless, like the, some of the imagery that came out uh, surrounding it today uh, also looked really fucking cool. They put out some move, some posters from some of the movies that uh, DiCaprio's character is said to have starred in uh, inside mm-hmm. of there that also look really great. Uh, I'm stoked, man. Uh, I love Tarantino. And uh, I'm really excited about this one. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Especially uh, the actor playing. I agree completely too. Yeah, uh, he totally does. Yeah, I can't wait for it. And like you had said, Manson, he's there. His presence is there, but he's not going to be a focal point, which I really do appreciate. And also, Kurt Russell playing a stuntman in the movie makes you wonder if that's stuntman like from Death Proof. I really do hope it is. 
<laughs> I really some, hope Tarantino well, ties it in. Some of the theories that I've heard, because Death Proof takes place in, you know, the year that it came out. Um, yep. So, obviously, Stuntman Mike would be way older than that. So, obviously, some of the little things that are getting tittered around, you know, could he be Stuntman Mike's dad? Could he be, you know, could he be his brother, Stuntman Bob, you know? There, there could be any number of people that he is. Uh, so, so whether or not he is Stuntman Mike, I find that to be doubtful. Um mm-hmm. But regardless, it's still a nice little nod. Even if he's not yes. Stuntman Mike, it'll be just a nice little nod to one of his other films. And again, Tarantino, I, there's, there's not a lot that you can really say about the guy that, yeah, he's yet to really disappoint me completely. You know, the only yeah. film that I just, you know, that I didn't love of his is more about it being a genre that I'm not a big fan of, and that's just the Jackie Brown movie. And that's uh, it. I love Jackie you Brown. You know, everything else he's done, I, I really enjoy. When was, the, when was the last time you seen Jackie Brown? Just out of curiosity. A number of, ye- a number of years, and I own it. So I may go back to it soon. It's, I have all of his I, movies I think on, my, on my Xbox. So I watched it recently uh, for the first time in maybe 10 years, and uh, I think it's worth taking another look at. Yeah, it holds up. It really is a fun movie. I mean, and like I get what you're talking about, Ogul. You know, it's it, it's kind of taking the black exploitation aspect of it. Um, and he might not be a big fan of those movies back in the '70s, so it wouldn't hit. But I think, like the doc had said, I think you need to revisit it because it really does hit a good note, and it is a fun ride of a movie. And according to IMDb, Kurt Russell's character, and this is named Randy. Uh, so, oh, well, so so we shall see what happens, but maybe <laughs> but maybe there'll Randy. be yeah, but you know what? Maybe there'll be something. Maybe there'll be something with a car. Maybe there'll be something that you see that is like a little a little nod somewhere in there. If you're for the oh, evil eyes, cool you know, for the, just for the, the fact that he looks the way he does. I mean, he looks almost identical to how he looked like. Yeah. So death proof. You know, so maybe yeah, maybe keep your eyes peeled. Maybe mm-hmm. keep some eyes peeled for some clues. And then right. uh, before we get into the untold story, since that has to do with food, I have one kind of food item. Uh, the King, you might have heard about this, but I don't even think you were born yet when this happened in real life. Uh, in the 80s, uh, Coca-Cola uh, radic- threw a radical curveball at the population by switching up their recipe and taking away the classic Coke? Coca-Cola recipe and coming out with new Coke. Yeah, and uh, you know this coming in the very very near future this summer, uh, they are once again going to be putting new Coke uh, back out on the shelves. Oh my god! If you've if you never had a chance to taste the new Coke, you will get your chance. Uh, I know as a fact that I have dr- drank new Coke. Uh, my dad grow when I was growing up was a humongous Coca Cola drinker. Uh, like 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 there was a Coca Cola memorabilia shit in my house. Like it was Coca Cola <laughs> like that. Uh, you know, Dude, there was nothing Coke. better for us after a fucking night. Of no, party, I'm coming. I'm getting to that, buddy. I'm, 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 I'm getting to that. I'm getting to that. And I was a drinker of Coca-Cola too. And when the new Coke came out, I remember my dad. Oh, this is terrible. Why? And I remember like it tastes like Coke. You know. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, it's a tie-in for Stranger Things three uh, because the summer of which Stranger Things three takes place is the summer that the new Coke came out. So the new Coke will be featured in the season three and they're going to actually create uh, 
new Coke and put it on the shelves in real life. Uh, Coca-Cola said that we're trying to, you know, basically we're trying to be hip and cool. Uh, this is Was something cool? that we never would have yeah. done a few years ago. We, we would take ourselves way too seriously and not mm-hmm. try to be in on the joke, but uh, we're, we're going to try to, you know, reach a new audience or a young audience and be the cool company. So we're making new Coke again. It will be out for a limited time. So if you never had a chance to taste it and you want to see what all the fucking controversy was all about in the 80s, you'll have a chance to take taste new Coke. And yes, Google, you are correct. Uh, in my soda drinking days, which now I have a soda maybe once a year, uh, whether you were yeah, coming down off of say. an S, maybe if, if, you were, if you were coming down coming off, down of, off of, of an ass? acid trip, if you were coming down off of smoking a shit ton of fucking weed and cigarettes, if you were tripping on shrooms, uh, whatever you might have been doing, sometimes there was nothing finer than lighting up a Marlboro Red, getting a 20-ounce bottle icy cold Coca-Cola from the cooler at Exxon, cracking that thing open, and taking that glorious first sip. And not every single time, for whatever reason that was inside that bottle, was it perfection. But when that shit was perfection, we were the masters of all fucking creation. There was nothing more glorious than that sip of Coca-Cola. I right. 100% agree. Absolutely. This episode of Talking Terror brought to you by Coca-Cola. It was not. Don't tell any lies. Uh, but anyway, uh, before, before... Do you remember Coca-Cola before, challenge, man? Oh, the, yeah, the, they had to decide if it was Coke or Pepsi, and they, they had this shit behind the fucking window or something? They ended, up, they ended up fucking getting me to do that shit in the mall, man. At the fucking free old lose? mall. Did you win? Yes, I did. I actually lost. Oh man! Whatever, right, so man. I, I don't care. It was to like earn like fucking tokens so that you could play that fucking <laughs> Michael Jackson Moonwalker shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so I don't. I, I want. I want the, the king to be able to start wiping the sweat off his brow. Uh, we do have a film to talk about tonight. I'm not anymore. Uh, I'm fine. We are going. <laughs> we have what I've once again taken the uh, the talking terror crew and all of you listeners out there on a on a trip to the mysterious far east uh and back in time all the way back to 1993 uh to to take a look at Bun Man the old ta- the untold story or Bun <laughs> the old story the untold story or Bun Man. Man the eight immortals restaurant murders uh, this movie has many different titles, uh, but anyway, oh, yeah. directed by Herman Yao, starring Danny Lee and Anthony Wong, um, and uh, this movie uh, has to do with a, uh, a a man who has, through nefarious uh, purposes, taken control of a restaurant. I believe that the the Chinese island is pronounced Macau, I, but I'm not mm-hmm. certain, and uh, he takes. Uh, ownership of the Eight Immortals restaurant and uh, acts as its owner. Uh, we find out how he became the owner a little bit later in this film. Uh, but through a series of circumstances and police investigations, uh, it is determined that he is a, a nefarious uh, criminal and uh, has been serving up some undelectable treats uh, from his restaurant's kitchens. And, uh, you know, there we have the untold story, which is based on a true story. And uh, we'll talk we'll talk about that a little bit later in our discussion. So, uh, gentlemen, have at it. I don't care who of you talks first, but somebody start talking. Cool, now, go ahead. 
Macau. That is how it's pronounced. Macau. 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 Uh, Macau. Macau. Um, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I love when you start. Thanks. You know. <laughs> Thank you so much, Doc. I You're love, welcome. I love, love, love when you pick gems like this, man. This is easily <laughs> one of my favorite films of all time. Uh, I'm, without I'm, a doubt. I'm detecting, I'm detecting a hint of sarcasm here. No, no, not at all. I mean, you know, just what a, what a, what a great film from start to finish. Uh, I, I've never been more entertained than you know the exploits of King Kong and General Lee and or whatever his name was Inspector Lee and and all of, all of their hijinks. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, <laughs> listen, man. You know, this is just one of those fucking films. It's hard to watch, okay? It really is. Yeah. I, I went into this knowing absolutely fucking nothing, oh, and, I, and, and I came out of it knowing absolutely nothing. I, I actually left this film knowing less than I went in originally. Um, yeah. So, thank you. Yeah. And I, listen, it had a couple cool moments, but aside from that, yeah, it was, it was, it was a rough ride, man. Yeah, a couple cool moments. Uh, I definitely agree with that. I mean, when I tried to make the post on Monday for the fucking show, I couldn't find anything. Like, no posters, no nothing. I'm like, really? Bun Man. I was like, Bun Man? Bun, like, did, you put, going on did, Google. You put, did you put the untold story? Yeah, finally I had to put in the untold story because I went on the IMDb. Yeah, it's called Bun Man, the old, the untold story. If you put it all together, there's a yeah. ton of a ton of stuff. I kept trying to put this fucking thing in the Google one. And when I when I put thing. this when I announced it and when I put it on uh, the message, I always framed it as Bun Man, the untold story. Yeah, couldn't find anything, and then finally I put in the untold story, and I'm like, okay, there's a poster. I can put that up on the Facebook page. You know, announce the, the untold then, story. So you know, and I, oh, so I was the never you know, never-ending story. My bad. Yeah, you know, then you know, I put the movie on, and I'm like, ah, you know, let's see, you know, it's is it going to be as bad as Dead Sushi? I hope not, you know, because that was pretty bad. Uh, you know, was a watch for me. Um, and it, it wasn't terrible. Maguro. It had some good moments, but the movie just takes these really long pacing moments where you just kind of don't realize why it's going on for so long. Like the running fucking gag of all the police officers having this chauvinistic moment of <laughs> going after the one off the bow. Like, it's, just, it it's so, so like you're beating a fucking dead horse throughout this entire fucking movie of the constant jokes of Captain Lee bringing in a hooker to every fucking scene. And she's like, <laughs> hi. And like, but why? Like, what is this? Like, he's constantly bringing in a hooker. So like How about when Dolly? Like you didn't think it was funny if, when she asks if they like big tits and then they they make fun of her flat chest and, and everything that like I don't know I thought that shit was funny. No, what I thought was hilarious is when Bo puts on the dress and she does her hair up and puts the earrings on and she's showing her ass and all the the cops are like oh yeah hell yeah look at your tits look at your ass and then Captain Lee walks in and he's like why are you dressed like that you're not a whore and they're like yeah you're not a whore whatever fuck you and I'm like. The hell! <laughs> it's like, is this supposed to be funny? Like, is this people in Hong Kong laughing it up in the theater and slapping their knee, going, "That comedy." Uh, that's just. Well, that's just the thing because it has that shit, which is like, you know, if you want to, uh, yes, I took that as as comedy, 
Um, not just straight, and, and maybe, look, maybe it wasn't meant to be comical. Maybe it was just fucking straight misogyny. Uh, mm, that's what I'm nah, but I'm, I mean, but I'm thinking that that's that's supposed to be comedic value, and I feel that whether you think it's like you yeah. you you watch that and you laugh and you think it's actually funny is up for debate. I thought that there was like comic relief in that kind of repeated uh, return to that because it was just funny to me that I feel like, and especially that subject matter to that degree is not mm-hmm. uh, something, and I don't know about Asian audiences, but you're not putting shit like that in a movie here anymore. Um, and uh, I feel that the dark kind of twisted shit that would happen aside from that stuff, it just made this movie so fucking bizarre. Um, it's not like any one thing. So right. that's some, that's one of the things that I, that I personally enjoyed about this film. I mean, I felt like it was imbalanced. Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of that might have had to do, obviously, with translation. Uh, Us, Mm -hmm. you know, having American sensibilities, watching, you know, the subtitled idea of what they're supposedly saying. Yeah. you know, because obviously subtitles aren't going to give us the nuances. They're not going to give us the inflections. They're, we're not going to get that humor completely. I took right. it as comedy, you know, because mm. of musical cues and physical right. behaviors of said actors and actresses and whatnot. That being said, it made the film feel like it didn't know whether or not it wanted to be funny or whether or not it was trying to tell us, you know, somewhat what the true story was of what occurred within this entire, you know, restaurant and everything that happened in yeah. Macau in 1984. So right. it's, uh, and that, that imbalance is kind of what, at times turned me off from the film. I really wanted it to be one thing or the other, and I really yeah. wanted it to be more on the serious end because the comedy just wasn't doing it for me. It wasn't. And like, like I said, it was kind of like beating a dead horse after a while with a lot of the comedy. It's like, yeah, hey, listen, we have dark subject matter, but we're going to give you some funny shit, and you're going to laugh. And it's like, well, it's okay, I guess. I mean, it's a, a, a weird balance, like uh, the girl just said, of, of trying to balance the dark shit with the comedy. Um, I like the fact that the waiter in the restaurant that Wong owns is named Ahmed. I'm like, oh, man, like, this movie sucks. Like, <laughs> and he's named Ahmed. Um, but he's the one that's like, hey, you're cheating at Mahjong. And he's like, that's a big fucking deal. You're cheating at Mahjong. I'm like, who fucking cares? Like, your money? Like, who cares My mom used to play that shit. <laughs> yeah. But... The fact that he's cheating a Mahjong, and then Wong decides that he's just had enough of fucking Ahmed, and stabs him in the eye with the receipt needle, and you have the yakety sax Benny Hill moment of him tripping over everything, going, oh my god, no, no, and I'm like, all right, is this comedy, or is this trying to be like a realistic murder? Like, I just, I didn't know how they were trying to play it. Even with him being beaten to death with a ladle, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> he's trying to be funny. Sometimes you gotta use what you have at your disposal, man. I'm sure you can beat somebody to death with just about anything if you're not enough fucking intention behind it. Um, Now, the one thing I will say, and we'll frame this also, my viewing of this film, I did not know that this was based on any kind of real event. 
I did not find right. that out until after watching the movie and, you know, at that point doing what I normally do, which is researching the film itself, mm-hmm. the production and things like that. Um, so finding out that this actually had any true events, you know, tied to it was actually quite a shock. It was, yeah, so, and that's, uh, yeah, go ahead, uh, Doc, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, yeah, so this was, uh, you know, referred to in real life as the Eight Immortals uh, Restaurant Murders. Uh, it was also actually in real life referred to as the Pork Bun Murders, mm-hmm. um, where, uh, you know, a family of 10 was murdered in their restaurant, the Eight Immortals Restaurant. Uh, this is something that was discovered in 1985. Yeah. And, um, you know, while... Uh, no instances of any kind of bodies being put into any food uh, ever discovered, uh, you know, the sensationalism of the story uh, because there was a restaurant involved and the corpse discoveries were incomplete, um, you know, and some other things like people kind of crafted that narrative that that is something that possibly happened and, you know, it kind of stuck even though it wasn't actually uh, necessarily true. Um, but yeah, there's the been several, there's been, yeah. you know, yeah, the, 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 the putting the, the, the flesh into the dumplings and all of that shit, um, you know, that's something that was rumored, uh, but never proven. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of different, uh, you know, films and stuff, uh, you know, surrounding this particular incident. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, I, I guess that you're going sensational with it, you know, in the movie. You know, having. No, no, uh, I think long... the, in the media, in real life, like sensationalized that yeah, uh, maybe absolutely. these uh, families that were murdered were turned into like pork buns. Yeah, and it, and it made for a good aspect of the movie uh, with Wong uh, killing the waiter and putting his body into the, the pork buns and serving them up to the cops, uh, serving them up to the people in the restaurant. They're going, oh my God, these fucking buns are so good. And I do love barbecue pork buns. Uh, and a lot of Japanese restaurants I go to, they're fucking phenomenal. And now I question what yeah, man. That's some good, good movie, shit. but they are so good. Um, so I get why they were just so excited to eat these buns, because if they're made right, they're fantastic. Uh, the one I've never had I, one. Um, you have really to, tasty, like, man. You go to, yeah, go to a sushi restaurant, go to a Japanese restaurant. They have them, you know. Oh, we exactly have sushi, have we have sushi all the time, too. I just, it's one of those things I don't think I've ever, ever gone around yeah, to having, so I'm going to have to try one now. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I don't, uh, you're in Monroe. I don't know. How often are you in, like, the Manalp and Marlboro area these days? I mean, I literally live across the street from the English Town Auction, man. We're there all the time. Oh, that's true. Like, why do I think that you're further? I know, because your address is Monroe. <laughs> I always I forget how... Like I don't know how I always don't, don't take yeah, Monroe, Monroe is gigantic, right there. It's gigantic. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Man. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Such I was a, thinking it's such a Monroe, big town. Monroe. So, <laughs> do you know? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you where you can go if you pass by on the corner of Ryan Road and Route 79. Um, there's like a on that one corner. There's like a huge like CVS or something, and then across the street there's a big strip mall. Uh, in that strip mall, like on the road, there's like have a, an Acme in it. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. that Acme rest that Acme is now, and it's been for years. It's a huge Asian supermarket, and okay. uh, yeah, I would I'll shop there it. all the time uh, because they have a great meat counter, they have a great fish counter. Uh, but you, there's a bakery section, and they sell like like pork buns and shit like that. And yeah. You can get that there. Yep. Okay. So I would definitely. They're really good. Whenever I would shop out. there, I would always grab a I would always grab a pork bun from the case to go. Uh, whenever I would shop yeah. there. Yeah, and definitely be hungry for pork buns. Yeah, watching this movie. 
because they're just so good if they're done right. Um, but the one thing is that the waitress uh, in the movie, who's also the cashier, she wants to leave to go to China to go see her sick mother. And Wong is like, all right, I'll, I'll pay you for today. And then you just come to work one more day. And then he's like, uh, you know what? Change my mind. We're just going to fucking rape you and kill you. It just, I didn't like it. Like, it just, I get what they were trying to do. It's just, it's uncomfortable. And I just, I didn't like it. Like, I just, I, I really wish it wasn't in this movie because it kind of took it out with him raping this girl and then shoving chopsticks up her cervix. And uh, I don't know, just really kind of didn't like it. I don't think she well, did either. Well, of course not. But still, I just I didn't appreciate that it was in it because I don't know I'm uncomfortable with rape scenes as it is. I think the did you really did you ever see Irreversible? Yeah, I've seen Irreversible. I haven't seen that spit in your grave, which is a 25 minute long rape scene, <laughs> and it's it's horrible. And I felt the same way with this movie. I'm like, all right, well we're having fun with the chauvinistic cops and the hookers, and then all of a sudden you have this rape scene. It's just not needed. Like I just I, I felt like they were just trying to be sensationalistic. Well, that's and just one, one of the things kid. that that makes this film so fucking bizarre because you have you know the comic relief, but then it's like mixed, right. like alternating back and forth with scenes of really brutal violence. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And again, I think that's where the, but I think that's also where the problem lies again with the whole localization. Whereas if this mm-hmm. was done in, let's say, a, a, an Americanized form, you know, I mean, yeah, on the one end, you can argue that it might not work because of, of how we do things or what our sensibilities are. But at the same time, too, I think, you know, maybe if an Asian audience can relate to this better than an American audience could. I mean, you can almost look at it and say, well, that's just like them watching, let's say, an American Pie movie. And, you know, because Mm. that is, you know, literally by name, it's an American Pie movie. They can't relate (laughs) to that comedy the same way because they're not from here. You know, and, like, that's the thing. I think the pacing, I think all of that, again, like I said originally, I think it just suffered from the translation and and for just being from a different culture completely. It was very, very weirdly paced, and I, that's why I keep agreeing with you about that. Because after he rapes and kills her, again, he had more pork buns. He's like, well, you know, I could just strip the body, and I could just keep throwing it into the dumpster and the garbage cans because the garbage people are going to pick it up, and I have nothing to worry about. But the police are now on to Wong, and they know it that wasn't he even has... sexy. No, it he was just do it, he didn't even do it and... sexy like Dirk Diggler and Amber Waves. At least they did that it sexy. Just, it was just unnecessary, and, you know, I, I wanted – and that's the one thing I will give this movie. I wanted to see Wong get the fucking shit kicked out of him because I fucking hate this character. Like, he's just fucking gross, and I <laughs> wanted to see something happen in this character. And I love the fact that when the cops are onto him and they play 24-hour surveillance, they go through the trash, and they find out that he's got all these pictures that he threw out in the trash of the former family that lived in the restaurant. They're like, yeah, we're on to him now. We got it, boys. Woo! Like, you know, let's go find where he is. He's going to China. <laughs> I love that they take him as he's trying to go to China. <clears throat> and Officer Lee, he tells Bull, hey, listen, we got him. He's our murderer. We're going to take him into custody. Don't tell any of the, the officers that are here, the export officers, that we found this murderer. He immediately turns to the export officer and he goes, we got the murderer. We got him. We're going to take him in. I'm like, what? <laughs> 
You just said not to say anything. Just where's your hookers? Like, you know, just pay attention to your hookers. Like, you know, she'll tell you. You probably shouldn't tell them that we got the murderer, but yeah, they got him. Um, I did like the fact that when Wong is in custody and he's being beaten, the fact that he goes up to the reporters and rips off his shirt and he's like, police brutality, they're beating me. Look at all these bruises. I didn't do anything. I'm just trying to go to China. It was kind of a good play on his part to make it seem like he's the victim. Oh, completely. Yeah, 100%. Um, again, I think it's – yeah. He, he, I wonder – and like I said, you, you don't know what they were trying to do. I almost wonder what? how this movie would have worked had they gone – with more of a did he do it kind of route, you know, because they spent so much time trying to get to catch him. They spent so much time trying to get him to admit that he did it, that if we didn't Mm -hmm. see him actually kill that waiter, and if we didn't see him kill the chef, you could mm-hmm. almost sit there and wonder, like, did they just try to pin this on somebody because they thought that he was guilty? Or did they try to pin this on somebody because, you know, they found out that, yeah, this guy escaped, you know, from a different area and they know that he is a bad guy, but they just don't have anything else that they can do anything with right now. Um I don't know. Like, uh, uh, I, I personally think I would have found it to be a more interesting film because these are the th- these are the parts that I found entertaining. These are the parts that I found interesting. You know, him going to jail, them trying to fucking torture and beat him to get him to admit to doing all this shit. See, and I like it, but I also felt that it dragged. It fucking dragged this third act down so fucking much. Yeah, I agree with that completely. And you guys have said throughout the discussion that that pacing for certain, uh, you know, was an issue here. And I I couldn't agree more with that. It it was just, that's the biggest problem I had with the third act of this movie is that it's all about the torture of Wong. It's all about him going to jail and meeting Chang Lam's brother, Chang Poon, getting his fucking ass kicked in prison him trying to kill himself, Chang-Kun. he's going to the hospital, and now he's trying to, you know, take a nurse hostage and escape. Doesn't happen. Now they're going to beat him again, and now they're going to go and, and uh, inject him with uh, accelerants and shit like that. It's like, this is drag. Because like, he's not saying anything. He's not admitting to the murders. But they keep fucking beating him, and they keep injecting him with water. So he's got boils on his back, so he can't lay down. Just admit what you did. He's like, no, I don't want to do it. Well, we're going to keep you up for fucking days. Well, I didn't do anything. And I'm like, God, this fucking dragon. Like, you know, just, you know, admit to it or don't. But, man, that's the problem I have with the third act. It's all well, about it him. <laughs> not, not until the very end. But, I mean, you know, the funny thing is, and, again, this is, what, 1993. You know, as, as we've learned from our own government, you know, torture techniques are not always the most reliable when it's, uh, you know, time to actually get an admission of any kind of truth. On anything. Who who would have thought that you know somebody might be willing to say just about anything if you know put into a situation in which they they feel right. like their lives are threatened. Yeah, and but it just I felt like it should have been more condensed, you know. But it's, except they they go for like days, you know, constantly torturing this guy 
to get him to confess to what he did. And then finally he goes, all right, fine. I'll tell you what I did, and I'll admit to, you know, Cheng Lam's murder and the family, um, you know, and I will go into great detail about what I did. And it's like, all right, well, we're going to finally get the confession. I didn't think they were going to go as graphic as they did. And, and in a way, I kind of appreciate it because I do oh, like God, the yes. boundaries. I love when they go into a taboo fashion with movies. Yeah, of course. And yeah. You, the Asian cinema uh, from that era, you know, is ripe with films uh, that get into that fucking crazy, crazy gore uh, imagery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what I And I think the reason gore light. I think this one was gore light. It's just it was, the, yeah. the, the actual event of what was going on was horrendous, especially because obviously yeah. they were kids. You know, I mean that, right. that's always the big thing that always makes you you kind of cringe. I I know from what I what I read. You know, they don't give the ages of the actual family members, but supposedly it was 10 family members that worked at the restaurant. Now, I know child labor and all that shit is, is big in China, but um, I, I think that the real event did not involve children. You know, I couldn't find anything that, that actually Neither stated I, yeah. that kid, kids were killed. But... You know, in a a thematic sense of a movie, it worked for me. Like, I definitely appreciated how far they went. Uh, Like, you know, said, it's kind of gore light, and it is for the most part. uh, When the actual event happens, when uh, Wong takes the family hostage and ties them all up, uh, the boy uh, gets his throat slashed, um, and he's dead, so it's not a big event. But when he starts going after everybody else, uh, the one big set piece is the little girl getting her head cut off. Um, and I was really impressed that they went there, you know, because you wouldn't get that, I think, in a lot of other movies. But they do come to show you this little girl getting her head cut off, and I was like, well, you know, they're they're giving it to you in the best way possible. They show her laying on. They show her laying on the table. They show his arm go up, and they do the shot from under the table, and you see oh, something fall off. down, yeah. and then you know, goop. And it works. Um, you know, you know. It was effective, but you know what? Again, you, you've led me this far down. You took this long to get there. You know, show me the fucking kid's head getting lopped off. I, I don't yeah. care if it's a fucking. I don't care if it's a fucking watermelon. If it's a mango, mm-hmm. whatever the fuck you want to put on the shoulders of that little body, just fucking show me something a little more graphic than that. Yeah, fucking again. You tortured me this long. Because at right. this point in the movie, I am I'm feeling like him. I'm feeling like I've been tortured to have to watch this fucking film <laughs> to get yeah. here. So it better fucking deliver, you know. And for me, I found like the the best part of this whole entire sequence is when the girl pisses herself, and that's just mm-hmm. that's not something yeah. you see very often in movies, you know. And I I always think of Friday yeah. the Thirteenth Part Two when she's uh when she's hiding under the bed and she fucking pisses herself, you know, when the rat walks by. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully she was clean because there might be bears in the area. You never know. Mm. <laughs> I did, but, you know. I just want to I want to backtrack to something you had just said, Ghoul. Um, so I just did a, some quick looking when you talked about uh, not able to find information about who was murdered. Uh, so there were there were ten members of the Zhang family that were murdered. Uh, it does not mm-hmm. state how many, but it said that uh, they they did find 
Along with the bodies, they found the stolen and hidden student ID cards belonging to the missing Zhang children. So it doesn't say what age the children were, but there were children involved in the real life. But they were of school age. Gotcha. Okay. Thank you. And, yeah, the movie kind of going there in a way, like I had said at the start, I I appreciated it. Um, I like the fact that you have the grandmother who just wants to come over and see Tex, the littlest kid who's sick. And he picks up the phone and he goes, yeah, I'll pick you up and I'll bring you over. And then when she shows up, she sees all the body, all the carnage, and she's immediately dispatched by Wong. And then you have the dismemberment scene of all the body parts laying you know, on the floor. And I was, it was a great gore sequence. If you're a gore hound, you're going to love this. Because you see heads, you see legs, you see arms, you see torsos. Like they threw everything at the wall with this particular scene of him having to do the cleanup uh, and get rid of these body parts. And that was his biggest thing is that, you know what? I threw them into the bay and I probably shouldn't have, I probably should have thrown them into the garbage truck. And that was my biggest fucking fault. <laughs> you know, that was my biggest problem is that I should have thrown them into the, you know, into the garbage truck. So that's his confession, you know, of these murders, but he still feels like he's going to be fine. Like, yeah, I confess, but they don't have any evidence that I did anything. And I love the fact that the cellmate says in Hong Kong they don't have capital punishment, so he'd probably be out in ten years. <laughs> like, in, yeah, in Macau they don't they don't have capital punishment, you know. And yeah, if he would have went good. to the mainland, if he went to the mainland, he would they would have given him the death penalty, which is what right. which is funny because when the other cop comes there. And offers to Inspector Lee, you know, hey, listen, I'll, yeah. you know, you don't have anything on him. I'll let me take him. You know, they're so hardcore on keeping this fucking guy so that they can get the publicity for it. That's right. And the notoriety for it. But meanwhile, the reality is the guy's not even going to get his come up in there. He's going to spend 24 fucking years in jail. And like that guy said, he might get out in 10. Right. Yeah. So just do your time. But that's not good enough for Wong because he just feels like they don't have anything on me. They're going to keep me here. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to get a bunch of fucking bedspreads and put them onto my bed and cut my wrists open yet again. But because I have the bedspreads on my bed, the blood's not going to drop down, so I'll just die. And it's like, all right. You know, I think the idea was so that it didn't get seen, you know? That's what I'm talking about, yeah. Yeah. As best he could. It would absorb the blood that it was dripping out of his wrist so that, you know, he could die a suicide death rather than face time in jail. And you have that voiceover of officer Lee saying, yeah, he was guilty of it. We had the evidence. We were going to convict him, but because he killed himself, there was nothing that we can do. I'm like, well, yeah, you can't, he's fucking dead. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's, just, it's unfortunate that he never got to see his time. Cause I know that there was one line that officer Lee said in the hospital before they tortured him. And they said, it's not about him dying. It's about us avenging the deaths of these people. And I kind of, I like that line. Like they are there to avenge the people that he killed. They don't want to see him die and have like a, a, you know, a death. They want to see him serve his time, you know, serve his punishment. I mean, that's an argument people for the death penalty and all that kind of stuff put up all the time, you know, serving the time, this and that. Uh, you know, obviously one of the arguments against that is the whole idea that it's taxpayer money that's, you know, mm-hmm. paying to keep 
that person in said location. So, you know, plus conditions of the prison system and all this and that these days, you know, what kind of rights that they have because, you know, they're still human right. beings and blah, 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 blah. I don't know, man. You know what? I don't, I never want to be stuck in a fucking prison in any of those foreign countries, man, because everything I've seen oh my God, no. always makes them look like they're fucking other nightmares. You know, every, every one of them looks like a gulag to me. <laughs> yeah, I know. Especially Hong Kong. I don't know if I'd want to be stuck there. <laughs> I, I was born in the darkness. <laughs> I was raised with it. I was molded by it. Oh, my God. He became fucking Bane. <laughs> little Hong Kong guy with George Romero's eyeglasses became Bane. You know. Uh, but it was, like I said, it was just an untaste movie. And that was my biggest thing is because... It wasn't a bad movie. Like I didn't, I didn't hate it. Like I didn't think it was a bad movie. I just felt like it was just so unevenly paced, you know, that it just I had problems with it. I, I didn't get the humor that they were trying to go for. Like I just, I don't know. Like I, I felt like it was a great kind of crime procedural, but they were just trying to inject a lot of humor that just fell out of place. Yeah, I, so I've, I've had this one – so I have this little note from the early days of the, the pre-social media days of the internet, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when you could go online and read about horror movies you never heard of on, like, Usenet news groups like alt.horror and shit. Right, um, right. You know, uh, in, like, the very early – like, 2000, 2001, I really, really, really started reading about Asian horror and acquiring, like uh, – what were those – like video video VCD discs before like region free DVDs mm-hmm. uh, like mm-hmm. on eBay on like ordering that shit on eBay from Asia uh, and I there was a period of time where disc that you got man yeah 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 I ordered that shit um, VCD yeah yeah <laughs> uh, I I was acquiring all of these films and the ghoul and I went through this phase of watching a lot of these Asian uh, crazy Asian gory horror movies and. Uh, this I have a notebook that I still have from where I would like keep a list of these different ones that I would read about. And uh, since my last one, Dead Sushi, which was more of a you know a newer thing for me, right. uh, I I thought of this one. Uh, it popped into my head when I was like, oh, let me stay with the food theme from the Far East. I can finally well, get to watch. Well, I was going to say that's, that uh, was your theme because you said that you were going right. theme with yeah. Dead Sushi. So I assume that this was just connecting to that, and you were continuing with the food. <laughs> Yes, so we yeah. had the untold story with the bun man and his uh, pork buns. So uh, <laughs> we'll see what direction we go in next time. But, uh, you know, that's where the idea for this one. This one has been on my list. I've been wanting to watch this movie for like 20 years. Um, so uh, <laughs> I finally and, had a reason to actually watch it. So Yeah, and, and like I said, uh, Doc, I mean, it, it wasn't the worst. Uh, that I've seen. I mean, it's just, it's unfortunate because there was just no. a, a lot of things that uh, I wanted to, to have happened in the movie that didn't. Um, it, it just it wasn't the worst. Like I'll say that. Oh, I, I worst, yeah, that's fine. Know. That's fine. Look, I you know watching this for the show. This was the first time I'd watched this one too. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I didn't yeah. love this movie. I didn't think this was any great movie by any stretch mm-hmm. of the imagination. I certainly pulled entertainment from it for certain. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I just, you know, a lot, sometimes I just take the show as an opportunity to get me to definitely watch things that I've wanted to see that I ordinarily wouldn't pick if I'm looking for something to watch. And since and I, I am yeah. on this kind of Asian food horror movie kick, uh, that's the reason why we had this, this time around. And as I said, and I know our time is running short, uh, we have only 
uh, more delicious recipes on hand for my next pick. So, um, wow. you know, so, so there we have it. Uh, we have Bun Man, the untold story uh, based on a true story. And, uh, you know, a Chinese film from 1993. And uh, maybe some of you out there will get a chance to see it or have or never will. And all of those choices are fine with us here at Talking Terror. So uh, I believe yeah. that wraps up our film discussion uh, for this week. Do you gentlemen have anything else? Uh, no, I did want to announce my pick for next week um, because it is my turn to pick, and I want to do a heavy hitter, uh, a classic, if you will, from the horror genre, something that I did scour our catalog of episodes that we've done. We've never covered this one. We've talked about it. It's one of the big ones that a lot of people talk about. So and we've never talked about it? We're going to visit what's creating. We're going to do the original. Wow. The original Nightmare on Elm Street. And I'm sending you guys a link just in case you don't have it. It's a Vimeo. I I know that I have it on DVD. I know that the ghoul does too, but just in case, I'm sending you guys a Vimeo link to the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Or did you lose that one, ghoul? What's up? You still have your box set? Were, Were you able to reacquire that or did you lose it? No, I, 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 I've acquired another one. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I, I just remember you saying, it. I just remember you saying that that was something that was like, you know, tried to yeah. be held on to. I, I remember I was just finding out oh, over oh, the years oh, here. It, 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 got, with that. it got held on to. Mm. So, yeah. So that will be next week. Any uh, other things you hold on to, too. <laughs> yeah. So oh, you want to that'll be next week. Um, but anyway, uh, that's a that's an interesting pick. One, I'm surprised that uh, that is not a film that we have ever covered. And two, I am I am really really excited about this because it has been a long time since I've seen the original, and I'm really looking forward to taking a look again. I wanted to do a heavy hitter. I wanted to do a big one, one that I put off when we did the original run of Talking Terror, and I feel like now is the time. You know, we did Bum Man. We had some fun. Got some laughs, but let's go back to the origins of the iconic character of Freddy Krueger and seeing what works and seeing what doesn't. I'm excited to, to go back in with you guys. As am I. As am I. I am excited for this one. I haven't watched the All original right. in quite some time, man. All right, so let's do it next week. We're going to go back to Elm Street and see if we have any nightmares. All right, so Doc, thank you so much for your pick tonight, and we'll see you next week. All right. I will be looking forward to it. All right. All right. Ghoul, why don't you hit us with a plug as we close out the show? Hey, 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 everybody. Go to Bonfire Bee Designs on Etsy. You know, go to Etsy, put in the search engine, Bonfire Bee Designs, all one word, and shop till you drop, man. All kinds of crazy jewelry is up there. Earrings, bracelets, necklaces, charms. You name it, it's there. If not, throw out a request. She can craft just about anything. It's it's all natural gemstones and all other kinds of cool jewelry. Um, we just had, uh, you know, came off an event this past weekend. That was a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we've got a, a number of things coming up in the near future. Uh, I'll talk about that next week, though. So, everybody, go to Bonfire Beat Designs. Bitches. Excellent. And until next we meet, we're visiting Robert England and his iconic character, Freddy Krueger. 
I will say, keep America strong, watch horror movies. Ghoul, hit us with that uh, famous catchphrase that you created. Stay scared. Stay scared. Excellent. I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your week. We will see you next time. We'll recover some nightmares, and I'm sure.